Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 7, Celebrity, from 1998. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this is, Mike, if I am not mistaken, our first Woody Allen movie for any show on our network, right? Oh man, yeah. Yeah, it is. Considering he makes a movie a year, like it's kind of, kind of crazy we haven't come across one before. And so to commemorate this occasion with what might be his worst movie, um, at least definitely by far my least favorite, and I don't want to jump ahead of things yet, but I can't imagine anybody in here like this. Maybe. Who knows? We'll find out. We have not one, but two guests. Both of these guests are hosts of other shows here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. We have, from the Wistful Thinking Podcast, Miss Jordan Paul and clark Hello, Jordan. Hi. I am so sorry you had to give Woody Allen your money last night to watch this movie. There's good news. I didn't have to give him my money. Oh. I watched it on YouTube, and it was sped up a little bit, so everyone's voice was very high. And it was, in a, very, it was in a very small box. But that's a win situation that it was sped yes. up. Oh, gosh, it really was. I'm it so went glad. by faster. I'm so glad that you already said that this movie's bad. Well, to maybe, hope, hopefully for argument's sake, provide a counterpoint to the three of us who did not like this movie, or to complete the quadrifecta of us, or the superfecta, I guess, in horse racing parlance, to continue to bash the shit out of this terrible, terrible sexist movie. Brian Rodriguez of PSL Love Hoffman. Hello, Brian. What's up, guys? Love to be in the, the family now. I, this is my first guest with you guys. It is. Which is oh, wow. Very. Yeah, yeah they, it came too late. They've been avoiding me for a while, but I'm here. Well, I think we felt we might need to have you and Kyle on at the same time. And when we realized we didn't need to do that, <laughs> <laughs> then like the doors opened up a little wider, I think. That's fair. I figured out how to use my own stuff. So I guess, I guess <laughs> that's cool then. So before we get too deep, what do you think? Do you like this film or do you not? Just I've seen every Woody Allen film. There's probably no director I know more. Because of that, I can't like this film. Because like you said, it's like his freaking worst film. Yeah, I've seen them all too. I'm with you, Brian. And I remember not liking it more. I mean, I mean, I like it less now, but I never did really like this movie. There's one or two things about it I do like. The cinematography is great, I think. But yeah, in his sort of pantheon of films, this is very much near the bottom. Well, Mike, everything I like about it, I've seen in other films of his that he's done better. better. You know, better. yeah. So what the hell? Yeah. He point? retreads a lot of water here. Exactly. It took me a whopping ten minutes for me to get so grossed out and creeped out by this movie that I was I was mentally checked out already. Thank Before God. Charlize even came on screen, Melanie Griffith laying in bed like, oh, I'm in her childhood bed. In her childhood <laughs> bed, not in her family's home anymore. I used to lay here naked watching my body develop. My brothers used to watch me shower and rub up against me. I'm like, this is gross. Like this, I'm done. Like I am out already 10 minutes into the movie which maybe arguably is too far like maybe when <sighs> kenneth Branagh playing the woody allen role oh, is hitting God. on winona Ryder in the opening scene maybe that's when i should have checked out that's when i checked out and i'm i had to turn it off after like 30 minutes because i just it was so gross i actually couldn't keep watching it mm. Ugh, yeah I had the the same feeling very early on. I knew that this was going to be a marathon to get through. Like, this was going to take longer than the running time. I'm going to need to stop this and pace myself because I was not digging it right from the beginning. I mean, I thought the opening shot was interesting because it's a Skyrider saying help, and that's kind of 
you know, my mantra for the rest of this movie was just like, help me, get me out of watching this. I wasn't surprised because I'd seen this film before and I know Woody Allen well. And just because I've seen all his films and I do enjoy a lot of them doesn't mean I like the person. Sometimes I feel like when he fails is when he gets too self-indulgent because he's like a gross man. You know, the grossness, like, again, it didn't, it bothered me, but I knew it was coming. So, like, it didn't bother me that much. I just, even it without all of that, I still think it's a poorly made film. Yeah, like, I read some reviews to make sure that other people also didn't like this. And, like, (laughs) shockingly, the sexism isn't mentioned all that much. Like, that's my main problem with it. That's the main thing that I find so off-putting. And maybe it's just because of, like, the current climate of, like, we're all so hyper-aware of this kind of thing. And this was 20 years ago, and it's a little different then. Like, everything I read said that this was, they called it a satire. And, like, mm, was what? I was and- waiting <laughs> for that to kick in, Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here watching this going, he can't be serious. Like, he has well, to be trying to make a point at how, like, revolting, you know, this culture is. And I feel like it's more of a celebration of that by the end, which is just, yeah. ugh. It's justifying his thoughts. That, yeah. If it had gonna... been a satire, it would have been, a, it could have been a good movie. Could have been an interesting movie. But none of it went far enough. They all just seemed like real people who either made me feel gross or who I hated or who I felt bad for. Well, that's why it didn't bother me. It bothers me on a human level, but that's why it didn't bother me so much watching because there are people like this. And it's just, it's it's almost like not watching a movie, just watching people I hate on screen for two hours. <laughs> why would you want to do that? Well, I'm doing it for this podcast. So <laughs> I, I, would, I like the Fumka Jensen character. She's like the only one that felt like, I mean, I, it sucks what happens to her, but like, you know, she's the only one in this that's like, feels kind of like a normal person to me, not like a gross caricature of a type. I feel like everyone else is playing like one note really hard in this movie the whole time, and she's the only one we get maybe like a multiple facet view of perhaps maybe a peek at I don't know I enjoyed her that in the cinematography <laughs> I had trouble I mean it was in black and white yeah so I watched yeah. again I watched this on <laughs> no no Jordan that was just the YouTube rip in full color <laughs> the legal copies so I have some questions about what was real and what was not real and it's also because I watched it on YouTube when it was in like a very tiny box in the YouTube screen but I couldn't tell some of the people apart because it was black and white mm-hmm. and because I didn't care about the characters so I couldn't understand who they were anyway well it's also difficult to tell people apart because the plot of this movie for what it is is just the Woody Allen character is going around and sleeping with every beautiful woman on screen. And that's the plot. Hey, I'm hitting on Winona, and then I'm having sex, or almost having sex with Charlize, and then it's Fanky Jan, and it's just like, yeah. okay, we get it, but like, ugh. Like, why do any of them hang around him? Well, he, like, imposes himself into their lives, you know? like. But they never say, like, go away, I'm not interested. They're all just like, True. ugh. That's not unrealistic. He has an Aston Martin, Jordan. It's a very expensive oh, excuse car. Excuse me. Yeah, they're just like, super shallow and I guess fall for him but this stuff happens there are shallow people who are into creepy guys it's just like I don't want to see them and it's it's gross like we want our heroes to be heroes but they're not a hero it just he just sucks I thought maybe like like all these women I guess like they were just so shallow and so just like attention seeking and we're used to all like so many people being around them that he was kind of just like a little bug that they weren't even like annoyed by they were just like yeah okay you're okay for today or something i think that's yeah. fair 
I mean, I definitely take issue with this story. Like, it's non... It's really, like, not there. There isn't, like, a general plot. because, And also, the structure is kind of all over the place. You know, maybe if he had said, like, hung it on uh, a linear story about this guy going through a midlife crisis, so he gets a divorce and tries to become an entertainment reporter. Like, I mean, maybe there's something there, but I just feel like the way this is assembled is also, you know, not helping. The fact that there are these short vignettes almost, and none of them really feel connected to one another, and it doesn't seem like this character is growing or learning or anything, and it feels very disjointed to me, this whole movie. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh might be one of the worst leads in a way. <laughs> and I'm serious, it's like he's terrible. It's just the caricature of Woody Allen. He's not acting at all. Anyone who's seen his, his, all his films can attest to this. Like, Obviously, he writes these Woody Allen-ish roles, but some people who do it, like Midnight in Paris, right? Owen Wilson is the Woody Allen, but he doesn't play as Woody Allen. Some characters do, like Ed Norton, and everyone says I love you, is doing a great Woody Allen impression for my money in that movie. You know, so, but yeah, he's definitely trying to do a Woody Allen impression as opposed to like coming up with a character or playing himself or anything or and that's not helping either. And Woody Allen's a very hands-off director as well, but he will fire you fast. Wasn't I believe just to get back on our own podcast. I don't know if you read, but Charlize wasn't even the first person they cast in that role and they had to take somebody out like after shooting a couple scenes. Oh. I wrote down the actress's name. It was like some food. Wait one second. Cuz I mean Woody Allen has <laughs> like shot an entire film and then like cut it together and said, "No," nope, and recast it and then reshot that Oh, exact a couple scene. times. Uh what's the yeah, chorus like... of Cairo? He took uh Michael Keaton out. And he put in, what's his name, uh, Jeff Daniels. Like, he does it all the time. So I guess it, maybe it's like a fear from Kenneth Branagh. And Kenneth Branagh has been so good in, like, you know, uh, in Keanu Club when we saw him in Much Ado. Like, that's such a great movie and a good role for him. And, you know, it's a shame just to see him wasted, too. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's people in here I like to watch, but I want to just look away this time. I liked watching Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Did was- Sam Rockwell, maybe, but... Sam Rockwell. <laughs> and also, also in Leonardo DiCaprio's entourage, we have Adrian Grenier, too, yeah. a.k.a. Uh, entourage. Vinny Chase. <laughs> you used entourage. Oh, yeah. I think this wasn't something I read, but when I watched the Leonardo DiCaprio part, I truly thought of that character as him making fun of himself. And so I, I didn't mind watching him. Well, that that also, Jordan, comes closest, I think, to parody, satire, something, because of the sort of breakneck speed in which his story unfolds, you know? Like, <laughs> you, we find him in that fight in the hotel with his girlfriend, and suddenly the police are there, and then they're all outside, and she doesn't want to press charges, and then they're all piling into a limo, then they're flying on a plane. It, it's just, like, kind of <laughs> funny at that point. Like, the movie actually feels like it's doing something with this material, finally. Then it just drops off. Like, I almost wanted Kenneth Brenner to visit all these crazy celebrities, and that they all go on, like, these, you know, <laughs> sudden adventures right and like that would have been kind of cool and it's just like this jet-setting life of the entertainment reporter who's like picked up and tagging along all the time also we have sam rockwell's magnificent hair which is just incredible (laughs) and we also have him just in a a wordlessly in the background just in a bubble bath with some hot woman kind of like it's just it's like i don't know why it's happening there's no reason for it (laughs) like i'm fascinated by sam rockwell in this movie as opposed to literally every other character on screen they're celebrities bathtub things just happen speaking of celebrities 
credited on Letterboxd. I did not see him, maybe because I wasn't paying attention. Donald Trump is in this movie? Yeah. Yep. Duh. I missed the him. very end. Okay. Cameo, yeah. So when Robin has her TV show at the end and she's like hosting, you know, she's going table to table, um, one of the last tables she goes to is Donald Trump and he says, what, he's going to buy St. Catherine's Cathedral? St. Patrick's Demo- Cathedral, yeah. St. Patrick's Cathedral? Demolish it and put up like a very large building in its place or something. So, you know, <laughs> classic <Cool>. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> what could make a movie worse, right? What? Dude, seriously. Why, Why is he in this? <laughs> well, he's in a lot of movies. He's also, he was... Yeah. He's high New York society. Like, that's the bottom line. He was sort of a core background player in last week's movie, The Devil's Advocate. He's mentioned, and they also shoot in his apartment. So this is two Charlie's movies in a row. He was in a movie with Whoopi Goldberg, uh, and it was like The Accountant or The Associate or something. And well, he's like in Home Alone movie. too. Right. So he, he makes cameos, and they're usually in high-profile comedies. This is back when people just secretly hated him instead of openly hated him. Yeah, but it's part that of that sense. culture, right? It's part of that celebrity culture that the director yeah. is trying to show. I mean, it, he's not too successful at it because he's one himself. Donald Trump is the perfect person for what this movie should be about, which is the criticism of celebrity culture, 15 minutes of fame thing, whatever you want to call it. It just, again, yeah. crappy effort. Yeah, this movie maybe came a little too early, right? Because now, like, especially since Paris Hilton, I feel like that whole... Kardashians. You know, yeah, well, they came, right? She's almost like the second Paris Hilton, right? Didn't, didn't she used to be part of Paris's posse or something like that? Or I don't know, but, like, ever since <laughs> those shows became big, and not that this should play better or anything, but I think if you made this movie today, the premise, you could actually say something better about, about this. May, may I quote Woody Allen on this film? because it does offer some insight of what he uh, thought about it. That picture, referring to celebrity, will be judged much more objectively years from now when people are not so interested in me. Not that I'm in their consciousness, but when they're able to look at the picture and judge it apart from whether Brana is imitating me. I think he was responding (laughs) to his criticism, but he's also like so... It's a very arrogant statement, but I get what he's saying. But he knows exactly what's wrong with it, is yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he just doesn't care. Right. <laughs> well, why would he? He gets he to make a movie fault. every year. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't Even if have it sucks. to care. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I wish I had his life where I could make mistakes every year on screen and come <laughs> back with hits. This is the beginning of his dark, one of his many dark periods, by the way, because what is before this? De- Deconstructing Harry? Which is yeah, really but before well. that was Mighty Aphrodite, and after this is uh, Sweet and Lowdown, and then he kind of gets into a slump until Match Point, I feel, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, Sweet and Lowdown's not terrible, but this is definitely like the start of some crap. Actually, you know, I'll recommend Cassandra's Dream because it's in the line of the movie that we that Joey and I were on the PSI of Hoffman podcast for My The Devil podcast. Knows You're Dead. Yeah, Brian's podcast. So what, it's what it's thinking? a movie like that that I actually feel works better. It's like Woody Allen's version of these brothers trying to pull off a caper together and like just all this the family sort of sibling rivalry that comes with that. That's true. One more character I want to point out that I absolutely love, which I completely forgot about, and I wish we had more. I wouldn't do a full movie of this guy, is J.K. Simmons as the Jesus statue salesman. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's... I don't know why he's here, but I just loved it. I was like, oh, is that? I was like, oh, it is. And then it just it was great to see him there. He's on screen for, I don't know, 15 seconds maybe, but I was like, this guy is more interesting than most of what's happening here. The bald director is um, it's not Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> even though it looks like him. It's a kind of a lookalike. I can't remember his name, but he's directed with like Seth Rogen, some films and stuff. He's like a pretty oh, big... Oh, Greg something. Comedic, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Director. He directed uh, Superbad. Greg Matola. Yeah. Yeah, Greg Matola. Oh, wow. 
Anyway. He's an actual working director who, I don't know what he's doing in this, but <laughs> there he is <laughs> as a director. <laughs> so random. Oh, there's also one. Did you guys catch the uh, cameo in the boxing scene? No. So Please. apparently they were just hanging out on set. He was hanging out on set with Leo, but behind Leonardo DiCaprio at the boxing match, the seat directly behind him is David Blaine. Wow. His best disappearing act, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he, this was, I mean, again, 20 years ago, but he still looks the exact same. It's like very recognizably him. He's sort of blocked, half of his face is blocked by Leo, but it's, it, I read, because I was reading the trivia, because I was done with this movie so quickly. I messaged Mike after Charlize. We haven't even talked about how disgraceful everything happens to her in this movie. We'll get to that. But like after she was done, I'm like, does she come back? And Mike said no. And I was just like, prepping for this instead of watching the movie so I was like I can't handle any more <laughs> of this fair. but I was I read about that trivia before the scene came up I was like oh there's David Blaine that's kind of cool I guess it's funny you mentioned David Blaine because like that actually gives credence to some things that this movie's trying to say so I had a friend that's totally random I'm not trying to spread celebrity gossip but I had a, a co-worker slash friend who like David Blaine used to he's like an older guy now and she was like 22 he used to hang out like at her apartment and hang out at these like bars with like 19 year olds and they would fawn over him it's weird because he's not very relevant now but it makes sense to me because it's like this is what we see in this movie a lot and it's, I'm like why is she with him He he's offering nothing you know, like in terms of the Kenneth Branagh character, because he's like, ugh. but I think this happens. You know, I just don't like it. Hearing David Blaine in this doesn't surprise me in the sense that uh, I feel like Woody Allen films can partially feel dated to the degree of who's stuck in them from time to time. Oh, like you, you see point. pop that's up really in the background and stuff too. <laughs> and so, like, of course, David Blaine's in this because he was going exploding around that time. Street <laughs> magic, you know, no one's ever fucking seen magic on the sidewalk before, and it drove everyone crazy. But I, I wish that he was one of the main characters then because you know like it would have made it a point it would have actually been conducive to saying something about the culture is like this you know brand new hot street magician is we're gonna follow him as a character like let's see how interesting or disinteresting like someone like that guy's life is like what does he do all day just sit around and watch tv or is he doing press or you know like i think taking the flavor of the month or someone going through their 15 minutes of fame like that's kind of an interesting concept for a film and it's just i wish that's what this film was about i guess yeah like this movie would have been great if it was made like slacker was made you just spend a few minutes with everyone and then you mm-hmm. go to the next person yeah less of a thread you know there's barely one here but like you know <laughs> clip it all together yeah either pull it all together or just get rid of it i felt like this movie took place in the wrong city shouldn't this movie have been set in los angeles and they were in new york right like yeah. i get it woody yeah. allen makes movies that are in new york but this story didn't like I actually thought that they were in Los Angeles for half the movie until that until Leonardo DiCaprio said they were flying out of Teterbury Airport yeah I had that moment when Joe Montaigne said I have a screening tonight and then they weren't and I was like oh wait they're not in Los Angeles and he's going to a screening and it just kind of like made me glitch for a second to reorient myself it's like oh we are yeah we are in New York this is you're right Jordan I feel like subconsciously it might have settled better if it was palm trees and the Hollywood sign and all that kind of stuff you know what it is it's lazy it's Woody Allen wants to make a film about celebrities and celebrity culture but he lives in New York and he does films in New York and he doesn't want to go there as simple as that yeah yeah right like he literally has to move to paris to make like four or five movies <laughs> in europe <laughs> let's talk about charlie's i've been trying to put it off just because it's terrible charlie's not even given a character name she's known as supermodel <sighs> We had short hair Charlie's sooner than I thought yeah. we were going to. That was sort of that surprising. That was cool. I like that. 
But then she puts on a wig. Yeah, and I didn't like that. And she looks like regular Charlize. Kind of, but it's, it's too like short, a terrible. Babe. Yeah. Yeah, well, not much of a disguise if you're going to you have blonde hair. <laughs> so just put on longer blonde hair. I, get it, I, I guess get a brunette it. wig wasn't close by. Maybe that was supposed to be a joke. Maybe a lot of things in this were like supposed to be jokes. In well, it's a satire, so everything's a joke <laughs> if you look at it the right way. Sure, yeah. No, I think there's some elements of that. It just wasn't done well, I think. And I think, again, sorry to diss or Kenneth Branagh or whatever, but if your lead is just doing that shitty of a job, it's just not going to carry the tone over. No, I don't think there. I don't think you can disrespect him in this movie because he's terrible in this movie. And I don't know if it's fully his fault. Or he's just committing to the role mm. and not making choices to differentiate himself at all from what Woody Allen would do in this role. But like, I don't think it's all him. But I mean, he's certainly yeah. not helping. You know what I kind of feel a little bit that bleeds through in this movie is like everyone just kind of feels like they really want to please Woody Allen. Yeah, just like they <laughs> feel really happy to be in a Woody Allen movie. I mean, this is even around the time in Seinfeld when Kramer was cast in a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> These pretzels are making me thirsty. Like, it, yeah, he became like a very relevant again during this time and yeah I just it, it comes through a little too much where it's just they just really want to please him and, and they're too scared to really I don't know take chances I agree because what's crazy I mean there's still like that clout like I feel like even today there's that like oh I could be in the Woody Allen movie like there's certain directors that like no matter what they have in their past no matter what they have in their history good things bad things whatever just like oh I get to be in the Woody Allen movie like yes and so apparently what I read on IMDb was that Charlize Theron, who we know was a model before she was an actress, had publicly vowed that she was never going to be a model on screen. And Woody Allen hand wrote her a letter being like, please be a model in my movie. And she's like, all right, fine. That's heartbreaking to me a little bit. Like, that she compromised her morals or her vision or her determination or whatever. For this <laughs> part, that's like, I feel like if if that's how she felt, this is everything that she shouldn't have wanted to do. It was gross. Woody Allen gets these statues, you know? He's won so many of his actors' awards, so I think they just hope they can do a good job and see if they'll get a connection there and then maybe she'll get a bigger role or something in another one and, and get an Oscar. I mean, it is worth pointing out that she will come back for another Woody Allen movie yeah, down with the road, a right? larger role. So I guess it paid off a little. So in terms of awards, like not that this did anything for anybody, there was one... Uh, the Casting Society of America got a nomination for the Casting for a Feature Film Comedy. The CSAP Navallo Awards, <laughs> I don't know what that is, was nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Art Movie. And then the most prestigious of all three, the Teen Choice Awards, no. nominated Leonardo, Ca- Leonardo oh, DiCaprio for Choice oh, Kissy. Man, it, so. Oh, it makes me so upset that like they tried to get teens to watch this movie because Leo's in it. <laughs> Remember 1998? Like, he could have done literally yep. anything. And, he did and the beach. He would have he had literally... to give... Yeah. I mean, and teenagers would have given him an award. It doesn't... It could have literally been anything. You're right. That's a good point. Oh, but he did not win the award. He was just nominated. Let me... Hold on. Actually, let me see. I want to see who won that. And that's, that's the other side <laughs> to it, too, though. Like, even though he was he just did. nominated, like, it gave this movie more press and it's gearing it towards the wrong audience, you know? Well, another, another Woody Allen qu- quote really to that. It was Leonardo DiCaprio's first film after Titanic and it didn't make a dime. He said this upsettingly to the press. Oh, so, so it was like a stunt cast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, you know what, Jordan? Choice Hissy Fit that year went to almost the focus of your podcast, Sandra Bullock for Forces oh. of Nature. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, a movie that we yep. would have done because it also stars Mr. Ben Affleck. So, what, uh, just for fun, what else was nominated in that category? Cruel Intentions, Ryan Phillippe. Okay. Oh, 10 Things yeah. I Hate About mm-hmm. You, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Election, Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. 
Pick Flick. The opposite of Sex, Lisa Kudrow. And Rushmore, Jason Schwartzman. That's a great category. Yeah, you know, you know what's great about that category? It has men and women. It's not like another best actor, actress crap. It's equal hissy fits. That's nice. Yeah. Ooh, I, I nominated that we change the EGOT to add another T, and we had to get the uh, EGOT Teens Choice Awards. So <laughs> last yeah, <number> five. <laughs> oh, by the way, I find that I found that actress name that Charlize replaced. It's Saffron Burroughs. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. She, okay. Yeah. On IMDb, she, it said she was sacked. Was the verb of the year? She <laughs> was sacked and went to Charlize instead. Oh. Guys, I think Whoopi Goldberg might have an EGOT Teen. Actually, we can look into that oh. after the podcast. <laughs> That's a good podcast. What's annoying about the Teen Choice Awards on IMDb is that there's no description for what the hissy fit is, but the category right below that is the funniest scene, and the mm. nominees and the winner all have a, a brief description of what the scene is. Like, the winner was, there's something about Mary, where Pat sedates and then resuscitates Mary's dog. <laughs> so I oh. wish that we knew how they described these hissy fits, but they did not. That alas. seems funnier than Ben Stiller getting his nuts cut in his zipper. Also, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> Can I go full-on angry woman for a second? Yeah. We're going to call him beating up his girlfriend a hissy fit? No, his girlfriend's it's... dog, right? No, 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 no. no. Oh, oh, in this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In this movie, yes. That's. We can call that a hissy fit and everyone's okay with that? No. That's all it was? Actually, I'm not. Absolutely that not. That's pretty terrible. Oh, God. At the Teen Choice Awards, this is what we're teaching teenagers. I guess that explains a lot of our modern society, if you think about it. That is terrible. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm just scrolling through the Teen Choice Awards for that year because it's more interesting (laughs) than this movie. Let's just talk about that. What is Charlize's soundtrack of the year? (laughs) City of Angels. Nice. Get out. Yeah, because that song. There's two songs. There's uh, Iris, the Goo Goo Dolls Mm. song, and that Sarah McLachlan song. I wonder who they gave the surfboard to. Uh, The film choice actor was Freddie Prince Jr. in She's All That. Of course. And the film choice actress was Jennifer Love Hewitt in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Huh. Mm, Still haven't seen that. What's weird about these categories is that the nominees, like half of them have movies they were nominated for, but most of them don't. Like it's like Ben Stiller was nominated, presumably for There's Something About Mary, but it's just not listed on this award. So who can say? Maybe it's a like a best year, like some award shows. Maybe. Do, where it's like all They have movies. the movie of the summer was Big Daddy. Oh, man, <laughs> really? What? Really? <laughs> what a summer. Oh, there's also the most disgusting scene, which is the hair gel scene from There's Something About Mary. Fair. That's grosser that's than like Ben Stiller getting his balls caught in his zipper? I think that's way that more was, gross. Sorry. That was gross. <laughs> oh, then there's like TV choice actor, actress, and everything like that. But yeah, so I guess mm. check out the Teen Choice Awards from 1999 if you want something more interesting than celebrity. Or just watch like good, a good Woody Allen movie, you know? Just skip this one. If you're, I mean, the only reason I ever saw it was because, like Brian, like one year I was like, I'm going to watch every Woody Allen movie because there's not I mean there's a he, he's got a good average but there's a couple that just really sink that never get off the ground you know right from the first frame you're like uh oh uh, but then there's like some that are just like really fucking awesome you know that are just great that you're like wow I just can't believe like this is this is why movies are great so it sucks that <laughs> he can turn in something like this and something else that is so enjoyable but does I mean yeah it does okay but imagine pick your favorite director or pick a couple of them, because I'm sure some do apply right. to this. No, no, I got it. John Landis, you know, like, he is one of my all-time favorites, and yet, you know, he 
Beverly Hills Cop 3, you know? Like, his career falls <laughs> off pretty steep at well, the yeah, end. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that, but there's also the thing that he makes a film every year. If everybody, right. just like, if, if you have any ounce of creativity, imagine all your ideas you could make into films. Would every one of them be good? Of course not. I don't know why he gets the free reigns to do it. I wish he didn't, because I, I wish if he had to be a little bit more selective, he would only make better films. Hmm. Unfortunately, they just let him, again, do what he wants, and let him have flops, and let him lose the studio money, because because they'll hope that he'll get a string of good ones again or just whatever. I don't know what it is. It's just, I think it's any kind of artist on a film, on a huge like production level, like a film, you're going to have your misses. It's just, we rarely see people with misses like this and get to make another movie. Oh, I have a question. I have a Woody Allen question. Shoot. I stopped. I didn't like Midnight in Paris. And after that, I was like, hmm, I'm done with this. And I have not seen any Woody Allen movies since then. Are any of them good? Well, if you didn't like Midnight in Paris, you're probably not going to like uh, much of his later work anyway. Yeah, Cafe Society is bad. Not, I mean, not bad. Maybe not no, bad, I but mean, not it's, great. It's, it's, yeah. it's fine. The one fine. with Joaquin was okay. Oh, right, but definitely not. I wouldn't recommend people watching. No, but Emma Thompson. Is it Emma? Oh, yeah, yeah. The one he plays against in that is, is really good. I like that. Emma Stone. Emma Stone. And Kate Blanchett won the oscar for blue jasmine so that was like i didn't enjoy that movie but she's great in it she's great and sometimes he gives you that right like not the best film but okay enough and the acting is just amazing and then sometimes he gives you characters where you're polymorphously perverse which means that every part of your body turns oh, you on. oh god yes <laughs> that's charlie's character that's charlie's singular trait in this movie is that if you touch her kneecap she will have an orgasm apparently also she needs echinacea every time that she sneezes so she can not get sick and then we'll just go to any guy who's in front of her because she's a strong independent woman who will just sleep with i guess everybody i don't it's just it's all terrible <laughs> do you think she'll really sleep with everybody well i mean we uh, what we see in this movie yes I don't know about everybody. She's like goes home with Anthony Mason. He was on like the Knicks. Like, well, she goes home with Kenneth Brenner, but they get into a car accident and she takes off. <laughs> okay, she doesn't go home with him. But he had a nice car. Was that Anthony Mason? Was he on the Knicks at the time? He wasn't on the Knicks at the time because they said, oh, I'll come back when I play the Knicks. Okay, that's what I was going to ask about. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, Woody Allen being like a huge Knicks fan, I'm sure he cast him because he was on the Knicks. Sure. I, <laughs> I saw that as a tall joke. Like, the fact that she was just like towered over uh, Kenneth Brenner, it seemed, because, you know, she she is just the epitome of like the stereotypical supermodel where she's just like tall, beautiful, leggy, walking down the runway, this, that. And like, I'm sure she knows how to play that because she was a part of that world and everything. I'm not saying that's who she is. I'm just saying like, I can understand she's bringing something to this role that someone who wasn't a supermodel may, may bring. But as far as like trading up for Anthony Mason, like that just, <laughs> you know, I don't fault her for that necessarily. I just see that as someone maybe yeah. more compatible, whereas Kenneth Brenna is, you know, I don't see what, I, I honestly just feel like she's using him for a ride the whole night and then when they <laughs> get back to her house, she's going to be like, peace, see you later. It's really hard to dissect her character because not much to dissect, unfortunately. No, and I don't think we have to because there's nothing, there's nothing good here, I don't think. Like, Jordan, as the female voice on this episode, is there anything about her character that you like? I think the echinacea thing is funny. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that, that was like a very trendy thing too then, right? Like getting into like herbal medicines and all that was becoming like very mainstream. Like yeah, Saint and like John. the moment she sneezes. Like the rest of this movie, somewhere, if this was done better, there's a really funny character. There's a really funny caricature of a model in this character except that's the only part where I actually maybe saw it come through or like she put you know she puts on a wig and calls it a disguise and it's not a disguise 
guys. Like, there are things that happen that could have been funny, but they weren't. It was just gross. It is just gross. <laughs> just like all of it, I was just like, why? Why is she doing this? Why? Why? I just couldn't. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, this is also a movie where there's uh, Nazis and people in KKK outfits. Because oh. that's 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 satire. I thought that that part was funny when they were putting them all together in a room with like a priest and like mm-hmm. KKK and like who else was in that room? Uh, um, Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos. Yeah. Two Sopranos. I thought that that was like I I couldn't totally understand. Was she was she producing a TV show? Like, yeah, it was sort of like a Montel Williams show or some kind of like yeah. Geraldo. So like or... I thought that scene was like a hilarious take on what actually backstage would happen at that kind of show. I thought that was good. Yeah, that actually to me felt like a Woody Allen movie for a moment, like where... a classic <laughs> old Woody Allen film. Yeah, yeah, like that madcap Woody Allen that he can get that he's gotten to at times. In in the middle of this movie, it felt very out of place. It's like, whoa, like we're really swinging to hit some jokes here like harder than ever in the rest of the movie, you know? And they come fast and furious, pun intended. Hashtag, hashtag too fast and furious. <laughs> I did actually think that was funny. And I was like, oh, that's like kind of, it's a quick, interesting comment to make for a different movie. I was just thrown off because they mentioned earlier in the movie like Nazis and KKK and stuff like that. And then Pauly Walnut shows up. I'm like, oh, that's somebody I like. That's somebody I know. And then we just go and see what's there. I was just like, oh, like this isn't what I expected this to happen. I don't like, it was, it, it surprised me in a way that like almost I thought was funny, but just didn't. Like, I can, like, that's closer to funny than most of the movie. Just the way that it all unfolded didn't quite work for me. Yeah, that's fair. It lasted for, like, three minutes. And, like, Robin, you know, this this is, like, the middle of her career. You know, she's working hard. She's a producer. She's running around like a crazy person. She's screwing stuff up. She's fixing stuff. She's a woman at work. Three minutes into the scene, she goes into her boss's office, who is also her boyfriend. And he's like, let's have sex. And she's like, I'm busy. And he's like, let's have sex. And then they do. In the middle of her workday, when she's trying to get shit done it was off-putting tony like he's he's a pretty nice guy but like that part was like whoa that's not appropriate in a work environment and and, you know kind of the fact that he like he gave her the job because he was into her it worked out for her it's a pretty (laughs) cutting insightful commentary on like probably a lot of things that are happening now you know as we're recording this louis ck was in the news yesterday because he just bought back the rights to his movie which is apparently creepy too and like the more we know about these like predators and like casting people because they want to sleep with it just like it's all gross and like i feel like i don't remember who said somebody said earlier that like this would maybe play better today but like or that that was the woody allen quote or something but like i don't know it's just it's all icky it wasn't as icky as it could have been because she didn't say it's not like she said no she was into it after the second time he asked so fine and he was her boyfriend they were in a consensual relationship and that was established we all knew that but like i used to work crazy production jobs like that even if i was date my boyfriend was at my job if i was in the middle of a crazy production day like that and i was running around like a chicken with my head cut off there is no way you could get me to stop doing my job to have sex with you no way i just didn't i didn't like it. it it felt to me too like they were doubling down on tony's character's only motivation, only quality, whatever you want, is is that he he is enamored by her. Like that's his only thing. It's like he is so in love, and like she's so beautiful that he has to stop everything in the middle of the work, and they have to have sex. Like it's just for his character, it feels out of place in a way. Like it, this is they have to take it to that degree, I guess, because throughout the whole movie, all he is is like fawning over her. It's weird. It, I don't know. I just feel like that's not somewhere they would go 
character-wise, yeah, it feels forced in that way. You know, like, yeah. what is the deal here? Like, he's, you know, he ever since the moment he met her in a plastic surgeon's office where he opened the curtain into her room, like uninvited. Uh, yeah, like he's 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 <laughs> <laughs> very invasive, but like you know, after otherwise he's he's depicted as being gentlemanly at least. You know what I'm saying? Like for the most part, like after that scene where they meet uncutely in the off in the uh, waiting room office or at least in the plastic surgery room like he seems like very nice and they run into her ex-husband and she has this freak out and he's very calm about it and all this kind of thing and like suddenly he's this like sex crazed maniac and it's just like not his character so yeah i wasn't buying it i agree with that i feel like this movie tried to tell two stories like so this man and this woman get divorced the man goes one way the woman goes the other way the woman ends up being happy and successful the man ends up being pretty the same and miserable as he always was while that was the ending it was clear that that was the ending like all of her success was given to her by this invasive guy who just like insisted on being in her life she was a school teacher at the beginning of the movie and didn't seem particularly unhappy with that he was just like no you must work in television you must work for me and so she did and now all of a sudden she's happy those weren't any of her dreams yeah these people don't really have values right <laughs> like in that way i know like being a school teacher is you know way more commendable than being a talk show host in my eyes remember the quote she says i says she says i've become the person i always hated but i'm happier <laughs> just like what throughout the movie she like basically the because so so she starts tries to run out on their wedding in one of the last scenes and then she goes to this psychic who is like no you just have to believe that you deserve all this and then you can have it because it's so great i never actually believed that the character thinks that it's so great everyone's just telling her that it is and so we're supposed to believe that she's happy she never voices her own opinions about it yeah and she's always every time we see her she's like frazzled or or, or like overworked yeah. you know like she doesn't seem like this is what she wants to do you're right that's that's strange by the way that that's the other person who's from the sopranos was that psychic she's like tony's sister in the sopranos mm-hmm. um, janice Oh, that's where I recognized her from. Okay, okay, okay. And also, Michael Imperioli, Christopher, was supposed to be the Sam Rockwell part. Oh, really? Dropped out to the Sopranos. But, like, that's not a huge part, so I don't know why the other characters are able to do it. Although, I don't know if Janice is in the beginning, but, like, I don't know why Paulie's in this and, like, Christopher's... You know what I mean? Like, I don't get that. Paulie is in lots of Woody Allen movies. I think they're just four friends. He made made it work. Yeah, he's he's been in... Isn't he even in both of the Broadway? Yeah. Going way back, yeah. I think they've been friends for a long time. Yeah, he's like kind of the the Woody Allen mobster, the behind the scenes Woody Allen mobster. But he's been in some recent ones too, right? Yeah, yeah, like that's he. You could probably do like a marathon of the movies he's popped up in, and yeah, <laughs> it'd be quite a list. The Polly Walnuts collection. I ran out of things to talk about this movie a long time ago. I don't want to stop talking about the movie if you guys have things left over. But like, I don't know what else there is to say about this movie without just getting angry at things. Angry works. <laughs> Jordan, do you have anything else that you want to talk about that that made you angry? No, just like the whole thing felt very much like the way a dumb dumb Hollywood man. <laughs> privileged man would be like yeah the woman she wants this and she does this and it was just like not even trying i mean yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) not one of his best efforts not anyone's best effort did anyone stand out in the film besides uh little cameos from jk simmons and stuff well mike said he liked famke jansen right yeah yeah, i mean we really talked about her i really liked her like fuck you moment like i was great when she threw the manuscript yeah that was that was very cool i like that a lot 
I'm glad that she did that. You know, I'm glad she didn't just like cower away or anything. That, or disappear, you know. You know. And yeah, she caused consequences. And then we find out she sold the screenplay. Good for her. But I mean, I also like her because of the way she was represented, like as someone who was, you know, she was like an editor at Doubleday or she was a very successful independent woman in New York City, you know, and like she definitely deserved better than Kenneth Branagh. So I'm glad that she went on to bigger, better things. Yeah, see, there is, like, justice. Like, Kenneth Branagh's character is not a likable one, and he, but he doesn't get what he wants. But also, in the end of the day, like, it's still not... He's not really, like, screwed. You know, he still has, like, a pretty yeah. good life. I yeah. did like the... I had forgotten a lot of this movie since the one time I saw it before, like, a decade ago, but I did like how he dumps Fomka Johnson because he's going to go out with Winona Ryder. And then Winona Ryder is just, like, completely lost interest in him <laughs> as soon as he's, like, free and everything. And so, like, I like that justice. That kind of thing was served. Like, he didn't get to be with anybody he wanted to be with. And then he runs into his ex-wife, and it looks like, you know, he might have thought, like, uh-oh, I, like, shouldn't have divorced my wife, even, or something. So, good, I'm glad he's miserable. Well, I mean, I'm sure he was miserable before the movie began, but basically, from what we see... You know, he gets one blowjob from Melanie Griffith, and he's like, all right, I want a divorce. <laughs> that alone should be like, oh, this guy deserves no happiness in this world. Although, like, a lot of good things happen to him. I mean, yeah. in the end, he's unhappy, but, like, he has a lot of good things happen to him, which is uh, uh, frustrating. I don't think, like, the, that the blowjob was, like, the first thing in that. Oh, movie. no, 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 but it's the first thing we saw yeah, on the screen. fair. No, I mean, he's still, like, again, I think anyone would sign up for... Not anyone, because we're not all assholes, but I think, like, he has a... If you just drew the cards of his life, he has a pretty nice life. Like, oh, should I write a novel? Should I write a screenplay? Fuck you. Sorry, sorry. I'm just getting, like, as a writer, getting it's getting me mad because, like, I would enviously take his position and hopefully not be a douchebag about it. Because part of it feels a little like Woody Allen bragging to a degree in this movie, you know, <laughs> because he is that kind of guy who can just, like, he has that upper crust, like, leisure life of art intellectualism, and, stay, like, he hangs in that circle, you know, and, like, he doesn't have to make a movie a year if he doesn't want to. Clearly, it's, like, he's driven to do that kind of stuff to be expressed, you know, as an artist and everything. This That is a quality of him written into this film. That is why Kenneth Brunner is probably portrayed sometimes the way he is, is because that's who Woody Allen is, and you know, it's off-putting. That's fair. I mean, I think we all think that we can write stories based on ourselves and that they'll be entertaining and other people will like it, which maybe, but I just, it's hard for me to relate to a later Woody Allen, like a Woody Allen in 1998. <laughs> I'm under no such delusions that I could write a story about my life that would be entertaining to anyone. But at least, like, you are, a, you know, a regular guy. Oh. There's some people who maybe could relate to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? They could, you know, read it or watch it and be like, oh, yeah, I could see myself in that. And so that this is interesting to me. But like, yeah, I think at this point in Woody Allen's career, like there's nothing about him that we can relate to or even find really that appealing. Maybe actual celebrities when they watch this film, like that one percent, they're like, oh, this is hilarious. I get everything. <laughs> That's who he made this for. Possible. I mean, I mean, I think it's obvious who he made this for. He made this for himself. Himself, yeah. right? Yeah. That's that's my problem with with him now is I think he just makes every movie for himself, and I can tell, and I think that's boring. <laughs> oh, it's definitely boring. But I mean, hey, he, he he keeps making movies. It's really like the same thing that we sort of get with in a very different way. 
but like with Nicolas Cage or whatever, like people, I think even you, Jordan, specifically complain that like a lot of the movies that you've been a guest on for Cage Club lately have been not great. But if you make five or six movies a year, if you make one good movie, like that's all I need. Like I can throw the others away if you make one good movie. So if like if Woody Allen makes a movie a year and once every five years, it's like a really good movie. If he makes another Midnight in Paris level movie, you know, next year, like I'm not saying it's forgiven. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to like it unconditionally because of all the ickiness in his past. But like if you have 10 great movies, like that's still 10 great movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and all the other ones, you're just doing your job. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it partially makes me think of Soderbergh a little where like, you know, I think he said something or, or there's something in one of his movies where characters like I think Julia Roberts says in Full Frontal where she's like, you know, if you make 20 movies and like people remember six of them, like you've got a really good average, you know, like you've you've kind of won, like you're going to be remembered and stuff. And so like who really cares about like the other times where you're just getting a paycheck or doing your job or something. Um, but the thing about Soderbergh is like he get, goes on like a stretch where it's just like he has like four or five or six like great movies towards the end of his career just like one after the other seemingly at the speed of like a Woody Allen or something like that too so I guess it just depends sometimes on what you have to say from time to time Woody Allen doesn't really have much to say you know we find Brian I mean you can attest to this like he repeats themes you know and words or like he's just very repetitive in his work and like his bag of tricks isn't necessarily all that deep but sometimes everything clicks and you've got like a great meal and other times you just have to like send it back oh absolutely yeah i mean if we went if we went through the list of all his films we could put them in groups and if someone who's never watched woody allen films like watched one in each group they would learn the same things of what he's trying to say despite watching completely different films (laughs) that would be a fun experiment (laughs) oh i wish i had the time and the money to do stuff like that Anybody else have anything else to say about celebrity? Well, I feel bad again. We didn't. We didn't talk a lot about your girl here. There's not much to talk about. I don't think. It, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, it's it, it's it's a problem, but it's not a problem that we need to talk about. <laughs> because, I liked you know, um, like even even though like it was pretty stupid and came out of nowhere. It was just they got into the car accident, and she's like, I'm like that was like her final like that was the last straw. She's like, okay, like I can deal with this guy but like getting into a car accident will end my night for sure i don't know it just that seemed like a normal thing in the movie to me whatever trying to grasp at straws there for you you know she said she can't uh have her name in the newspaper or whatever tied to the car accident so she's got to run away yeah bad press she just inked a deal with somebody i don't know couldn't tell you don't care oh it was a makeup thing oh she had a makeup oh gotcha just random little things I wrote down. Again, nothing to do with anything, but I did like how Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever they did, the AC thing, and then he was going to Africa. I he mentioned that like four times. <laughs> I imagine he's like fast forwarding and going to shoot something like Blood Diamond or something. But that's like about, you know, just the random things I wrote down. There's just not much here. I like the cinematography. Like, I, I will, I just mean, I like the way Woody Allen moves a camera sometimes unconventionally. Like, it'll drift away from the main person talking, or it'll just, it'll be a long take, but it'll be like several setups within a take, within a shot. That basically is all that kept me afloat was like, you know, the actual look of it. Mike. So maybe watch it on mute with some jazz playing. <laughs> Did you read that the cinematographer was blind? What are you talking... No, that's in another movie of his where he's no, like he a blind director. No, that character on the cinematographer for this film because he was losing his vision. What? While doing this film and he had to kind of tell him where to put the camera and then he thought it was funny. And what's that film? I think it's the next one he does, right? 
he re- he wrote that into his next one with the blind director, where he loses his sight as he's making a movie, and yes, that is ridiculous. I had no idea about that. No, I didn't know, but I got to say, like, it's probably the best film shot by a blind man. <laughs> I mean, there's there's people who can see who can't shoot films like this good looking. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And as soon as you said that you liked the cinematography, I was like, wow. I mean, I, I liked it too, but I just thought it was, that the, again, the guy was losing his vision while he's doing the film. It's just interesting little tidbit for our celebrity fans out there. There's no celebrity fans out there. I don't know who you're, I don't know who you're kidding. <laughs> Normal people who didn't go to the theater to see this film or whose relatives aren't in it are just people who watch all the Woody Allen films. This is not, yeah. this, this film has not carried water to today. Yep, that's very fair. All right, Mike, we actually have a mail that we, was sent no to the Zack Attack email months ago that I forgot about Oh, from Zack Attack superfan Jess Collins. She sent a email that she, the subject line is because I don't know any of the other email addresses, which okay. the email address for this is watch at cageclub.me. But Jess sent that email. The body text just says watch the throne. And there's a picture in there, which I am posting in the Discord channel right now, and it is Charlize Theron playing backgammon on the set of The Italian Job. <laughs> Don't know where she got this from, but I love it. That's cool. God, I'm jealous of you guys with super fans. So thank you, Jess, for emailing us. Sorry it took me... Like, she sent this six weeks ago as we're recording <laughs> this. This episode's not coming out for another month, so, I mean, she's going to think that we totally forgot about her. Uh, which I kind of did, but we haven't recorded a Zack Attack since then, so like, what am I supposed to do? Who is she playing backgammon with? I don't know, but someone Maybe in a your really stunt cool double? chair. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what does the shirt of the guy on the left say? It says Easy Rider. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is an Easy Rider oh, shirt. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's that. That's the mailbag segment. If you want to email us, watch at cageclub.me. You can let us know about what you think of this movie, what you think of our recast, which is coming up soon or next, actually coming up next, or anything else, just say hi, send other pictures of Charlie Theron playing other board games with people on sets somewhere. We'll take whatever. We will read anything on air. So send it to us, watch at cageclub.me. All right, recast game, a.k.a. Hollywood Tycoon. <laughs> For the new listener, if there is a new listener, the rules of this game are simple. If we were remaking this movie today, who would we cast in the main parts? There are two rules. Number one, cannot turn a female character male, though you can make male roles female, and you cannot make a non-white character white, although you can do the opposite. So basically, no taking jobs away from women and no whitewashing. It's the simplest rules of that. And there's one other rule. Mike and I cannot cast anybody we cast last week because we need to make this difficult game even more difficult for us. (laughs) So for this movie, we are recasting six parts. We are recasting Lee, played by Kenneth Branagh, Robin, played by Judy Davis, Tony, played by Joe Mantegna, the supermodel role, played by Charlize Theron, Nola, played by Winona Ryder, and Bonnie, played by Famke Jansen, and we're also uh, picking a new director for the film. Anybody have any questions about the rules of the game before we begin? Mm, I don't think so. There wasn't any potential ethnicity flip, right? Well, you can, so you can, we just don't want to whitewash movies. No, I get that. Oh, but but it is a Woody Allen movie, so everybody's white except for Anthony Mason. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. And that wasn't a recast. Why don't we start with the Bonnie role, the Fomke Jansen role? Jordan, did you recast that? And if so, who did you put in that spot? Okay, I had a hard time with this game because I would never remake this movie. I, I don't think any of us too. would. <laughs> <laughs> if you could make it the way you'd want to. If yeah, someone, that's how you know, I saw how, it. Try and think of it like that, I guess. 
guess. Yes. If you could fix the movie. I did not recast her. I didn't recast Okay, well, her. we will f- just think about it as we talk about different people that we're casting, whatever. Think about it, and if you want to come back to it at the end, we can circle back okay. to you at the end. Brian, who did you choose for the Bonnie role? Well, I'm going to spoiler alert you with the director already, because I'm directing this one. Oh, wow. Nice. That's a first. <laughs> no, I didn't pick Surprise move. But maybe I'll think of one towards the end. I picked, I don't know if you're familiar with this actor. Her name is Anna Lee Tipton. I, I really thought a lot about this. She, let's try to see. Have you seen uh, Crazy Stupid Love? That's a film. Oh, not yet, but I will. Ago. She's in that. She's in, she's in a really bad movie with. Oh, she's really pretty. I've liked her in the things I've seen. I just don't think that she's gotten good roles. I think that she could play this role, and I just wanted to. I, I feel like if I was casting, I would put her in this role. And that's the, that's the point. If you're casting, who would you put in these roles? So I like that. That's somebody. That's a first timer. That might be someone we never recast. You Probably. might have the one and only <laughs> Annalie Tipton recast in the history of Watch the Throne. Mike, who did you put in the Bonnie role? Okay, so I picked for this role. I went with Olivia Munn for oh. the Bonnie role. We saw her in The Magic Mike, and yep. uh, she's really strong in that movie. And I feel like you know she's kind of like a take no shit kind of person, and would, that would kind of translate into the role a little better. Absolutely. I went with another woman who is strong and takes no shit. I went with Gal Gadot. Nice. Which I think would work pretty well. Very pretty, but also confident and independent and all that fun stuff so bonnie i think we have good things i want to i need to figure out who annalee tipton is she's been she's been in things that i uh know i'm gonna have to look into her after this episode is over so good one brian i have my oh, good 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 quick but i have to do two at once that's fine because i want abby jacobson and alana glazer in this movie okay <laughs> and so i think that abby is bonnie okay and i think that alana is the one on writer character well we're going there next so that is perfect I like it. timing great those are my two picks. Getting some real New York flavor. Yeah, right yeah. I like, I like the vibe <laughs> I'm getting there. I love that show, by the way. That show is just amazing. <laughs> right, who would you put in that Winona Ryder role? The waitress turned extra, I guess? I want to get my money's worth here. And oh, okay. I, I think I saved a little bit on our budget with Annalie Tipton, so <laughs> I need an Oscar winner here. So I'm going to go with Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, huh. Okay. I think she'll bring more out of... Not that Winona's bad or anything, but I think she'll bring more out of that part, and I'd like to see a little bit more from that. Sure. Mike, who did you do in the Winona role? Okay, someone who I kind of consider maybe like a modern Winona in some ways, but Kristen Stewart. Okay. I think Mm. she's got like that self-reliance and that whole like confidence, but also like free to do what she wants, attitude and everything. So, yeah, I'd like to see her bring it to this role. I went with someone who we've cast a few times before. I would say it's someone who kind of defines what I what I sort of ascertained before I stopped paying attention to the movie, the kind of the bohemian spirit a little bit of Winona in this movie. I went with Zoe Kravitz, who I feel like is mm. maybe going to have the record for most times recast in a movie. Because uh, I feel like she's maybe been in two or three things already of the seven we've done, but I think she's great, and I think she would be good in this as the waitress who also catches a creepy, perverted writer's eye while on set at a movie. So we have that. Okay, do we want to do... Yeah, let's do the uh, Charlize role next as we're going through the women. Jordan, who'd you cast in the supermodel role? I did not. That's disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Very sorry. Nobody. Nobody should have to play that role. Well, yeah, but I, I get it. Yes, okay, that's fair. <laughs> if you think of someone, if you think of someone, we'll come back to you at the end. 
Yeah, yeah. I might have them by the end. So far, you're we're just watching Broad City. <laughs> so, yeah, so far, just Which Broad I'm City. Cool with nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's going to be upset about that? <laughs> fair, fair. I chose uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Okay. She was. Mm-hmm. She's off shooting Darcy's recast of The Devil's Advocate from last week, but she is also now available in New York for the remake of Celebrity. Good to know. What do you like about Elizabeth Olsen? I don't know. I felt like she could do that. I felt like I didn't want to just pick like a model, but I know she's modeled in the past, similar to Charlize. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like she's maybe around Charlize's where Charlize was in her career or close at the time. One of the very few movies that Jordan and I have seen in a theater together was an Elizabeth Olsen vehicle, Silent House. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. The, the one-take horror film? Yeah. Oh, cool. We were in a movie filled with people who would not stop talking the entire time. Made it an interesting experience. It was very difficult to watch. Were you those people, too? Or did, you didn't? No. No. <laughs> when you're in a crowd, you might. At no, least don't I res- shut up. I respect the cinema, Brian. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Mike, who'd you, put, who'd you put in the supermodel role? I wonder if we're going to have a match here. I don't know. We might. I don't know. I don't think so, no. I went... I just kept thinking tall... Like, I just wanted to go with, like, a really tall actress because I just thought that was, like, the best joke about that segment was that you how, much, how mismatched they were. No, that would have been great. But this person, I've only seen her in, like, two things, and in one of them she's painted gold all over in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but Elizabeth DeBecky, I think is how you pronounce oh, okay. her name. She's, like, over 6'2 or something like that. Like She's 6'3, yeah. She's 6'3, yeah. She's, like, super tall and everything, and she's a good actress, and I just think that would be funny. Um, would add to, like, you know, the comedy of it, I guess. She's, like, a very good actress, too. She's got a very striking presence in Man From U.N.C.L.E. as the uh, villainous person in there. She's been in a bunch of things. I just looked her up and she's in a bunch of things. She's going to be in the new Cloverfield movie coming out next year. Oh, I guess cool. formerly known as God's Particle, but not anymore. Or God Particle or whatever. I went with someone I think, I, I always think that when I pick somebody from a movie that you and I both like, Mike, that our brains might have worked together. I picked Abby League from The Neon Demon. Oh, dude, was... I had Bella Heathcote written down, but I... There you go. <laughs> just picking a model from the world of modeling and also the world of acting that can do both parts. Again, not a lot to ask of any actress here, but I think Abby Lee is also good. I also just saw Abby Lee in The Dark Tower. Oh, not right. Not great, but yeah. not great. That whole movie's not great, but, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, that's not her fault. Well, it's someone wearing her face. The neck stitches or whatever nonsense that was. <laughs> Stitch face. <laughs> Jordan, do you have a, a pick for the supermodel, or do you want to think about it a little bit more? I do. I'm going to put um, Kirsten Dunst in it, okay. oh, in that role. Because I would very much like this supermodel character to be more like Kirsten Dunst's character in Drop Dead Gorgeous. All right. I like it. I like it. Because I think that would actually be funny. (laughs) Give her a personality. Make her a little loopy and weird. Fine by me. And keep her in more of the movie. <laughs> I wish, I wish, like she came back at the end at a party or something, and we saw her with Anthony Mason, like, or whatever. <laughs> that would have been great. There was, there were opportunities for that in this film. Just didn't happen. There were opportunities for a lot of things in that movie, in this movie. So there's no exception there that it was, you know, opportunities for more that did not actually come to be anything. <laughs> the next two roles, do we want to do these together? Because I kind of cast them together, the Robin role, the Judy Davis role, and the Tony Joe Montaigne role. Mm-hmm. Let's do these together, Yep. if that's all right. Jordan, do you have parts for these? Yeah, I'm putting Joseph Gordon-Levitt in as Lee. Oh, cause, okay. Because I think he can be awkward, but I think he would be much less annoying. Okay. <laughs> but I don't have a Robin. I got to think about Robin. And what about the Joe Montaigne role, the guy that she goes to after she leaves your Joseph Gordon-Levitt? <gasps> I gotta think about that one. All right. Ugh. No. No, I gotta think about that. (laughs) All right. So just just so we're clear, I asked you for two roles. You're like, I got them. And then the two roles that you said you had 
didn't have, and you gave us a third one instead. <laughs> Excellent way to play the game, Jordan. You are on top of I think she just crash. won, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I had a plan. <laughs> Let us go. Okay, so we'll skip these guys for now. Let's go to the Lee roll, uh, the Kenneth Branagh roll. So Jordan went with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Brian, who'd you put in the main... Who was leading your movie, this... 2017 side, like you know, insightful, cutting remake of Celebrity. So I went with Gael Garcia Bernal. Ooh, I like that a lot. Mm. I, I, I think he could really could play that role. I think he could do it better than Kenneth Branagh. I think he could, not that role. I wanted it to be a little different, but yeah, and you know, so he was my pick. I like that a lot. I am going to go to Mike next. I hope Mike that you did not also pick a three named person because my normal two named guy is standing alone right now with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Gael <laughs> Garcia Bernal just floating Dude, around. It's crazy, but like I had two names written down and someone I just had a vision for I think who would knock this out of the park if it was if it was a better role. And who I'm sorry, it? Joey. But oh no. <laughs> but it's Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh. <laughs> nice. Sticking with the Latin theme. I like it. I don't like that though. Who was the other name do you ever who else so, did you ever um, down? Seth Rogen was one <laughs> option wow. and uh, Randall Park. I, I, wanted... I would like Randall Park in that. I think that would be good. Yeah, I think he's hilarious. I, well, I just we'll go like with Lynn manuel but... I went with, again, I guess, the only two-named gentleman of the four. I think it's just because he's he got a similar affectation kind of to Woody Allen, but I think he would be much more interesting in this role. I went with Jeff Goldblum. I think he would be huh. kind of a fun lead mm. in the lead of whatever movie I'm making, whatever crazy nonsense this is going to be. Okay, Back to Jordan for Robin and Tony, Lee's <laughs> no, I still, ex-wife I still and new, new man. None, none for either of those yet. No, I gotta think. All right, think about that. Brian, who did you cast in this couple, this new power couple, this Hollywood elites? Okay, so for Robin, yeah, I feel like she has a vulnerability to her. She's pretty, but she kind of doesn't know it, and she's a strong person, kind of. So I, 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 not okay. This actress is a strong person, but not the role. Sorry, I'm getting too convoluted. That's I pick, fine. I picked Kerry Washington. Okay. So just so you know, the whole point of this game is to get overly convoluted about things that nobody possibly cares about, so you are fitting in <laughs> That is a good point. Okay. There you go. I like Kerry Washington a lot. All right. And who is Kerry Washington going to be dating or whatever? So I picked Bobby Cannaval. Ooh, another I thought, new I thought guy. He played that character really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm surprised, Mike, that we haven't cast him in anything else so far. I know. It's true. I've kind of, yeah, somehow I've kind of forgotten about him while we've been playing the recast game. Out of sight, out of mind in my brain, at least, I think. All right, Mike, who would you cast in that power couple role? Yes, and I did cast these guys as a couple because they've worked together before. I don't think, no, they weren't a couple, but they've definitely been on a show together. So I have uh, Lizzie Kaplan and Ken Marino. (laughs) (laughs) As Robin and Tony. I like that. Um, I I just, Lizzie Kaplan just, she rocks everything that she does, and I think she could play this pretty well. But definitely Ken Marino there to like, you know, be the anchor to play off of. I think that would be pretty funny. I like it a lot. I went with this is a weird train of thought. My way of thinking here. When Joe Montana came out, he said he spoke in a way that I was like, oh, that's Ray Romano. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so who would Ray Romano be ma- or in a relationship with? And I looked at my DVD shelf and I saw the big sick. I was like, oh, Holly Hunter. And so reuniting them. I guess 20 years earlier from the big sick would be Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Because of that, I almost cast Kumail in the Kenneth Branagh role, but then it would have been like he would have been married to Holly Hunter, and I didn't think that age thing worked out. So there was a lot here, a big domino effect from Ray Romano, but Ray Romano, Holly Hunter in that role, I think that'd be fun. Maybe. I don't know. I'd see it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually actually, actually like that. I love Holly Hunter. Well, I appreciate the support. Just thinking about yours, Mike... 
it's sorry, it's bothering me, but but, <laughs> but Lin Manuel, I don't know, man, if I can hate that guy. And and the character that he's playing is a kind of a guy that we we we're not really supposed to like that much. No, I hear you. I think it, it you know it would be outside of his, of what he's known for, but it, you know I I don't know. I just think well, I would change the movie too to make him more likable and do less creepy things. Would you make it a musical? <laughs> well, there you go. Story. That would help uh, out with the because the, that would maybe fit maybe with my director maybe that's uh, maybe oh, that's where it came. We're from. gonna get there next. Hang on in a second, Jordan. Do you have a power couple here? I got half the power couple. Who you got? I want to put Catherine O'Hara, but like oh. thirty years ago. Okay. As uh, Robin. So like Home Alone era Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know we could use the time machine function. Well, we can't, but Jordan <laughs> makes up her own rules, and I think it's fine. <laughs> you can't pin me down with rules. We may be able to expanding rules, yeah. On the first episode, <laughs> I did cast an animated Gene Belcher as the lead in Children of Corn 3, so... And I usually tell people uh, if they want to recast people, like, you could recast Clint Eastwood as a chair, and we were cool with that. Like, inanimate objects are all right, too, if you need As to. long as they can nail the lines. So Catherine O'Hara... Circa 1988. So, Jordan, keep thinking about who you would like her to be married to in, or dating or whatever okay. in this while we go around for the directors. It could you... just be the dad from Home Alone. I was, also, I was, thinking, I was going to suggest that. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> who is the actor? I can't, I can't pull the name right now. Uh, John Hurd? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, John Hurd. Mm-hmm. It's Peter McAllister, yes. the father. Peter McAllister, yes. Yes, John Hurd. John Hurd. There we go. So I'll say John Hurd, Circa 1988. So, sure, why not? I like it. Home Alone did not come out in 1988. It came out in 1990. And the disaster artist, I didn't know that was Greg's, like, defining oh, moment that he saw Home Alone and he needed to become an actor. Spoiler alert, not in the book, I don't think. Oh, it's not in the book? Oh, that's yeah, why I, I mentioned it. I don't think that it. was in the book. I, no. th- I didn't read it, but... It wasn't in the book, so I was like, is that real or are they just trying to be funny? I was Home Alone too, but in real life, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> All right, Jordan, who is this film directed by? Is it going to be directed by John Hughes? No. Okay. <laughs> I wanted it to be directed by, I had, I was going in two directions. I either want it to be directed by Richard Linklater because mm-hmm. I wanted it to do that slacker thing. Yep. Where it just like is kind of random, follows random people. And, and for whatever reason, you're like, yeah, I'm okay with this. But then I also wanted it to be directed by somebody who is really good at directing ensembles. Okay. But that's as far as I got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll put that on Richard Link later, and then we can come back to that link later if you change your mind about that. Oh. Brian, who would you have as your... Are, are, are you actually directing this, or are you not well, I wanted this? to, but apparently the studio executives at Cage Club did not allow me... <laughs> you could. ...that effort. We never had a problem with that. I said I'm that was interesting. I'm joking. I, you know, I, I just didn't have a director, because I was thinking maybe the, the Duplass brothers, but I'm not really feeling that, to be honest with you. To be honest, neither am I. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of, like, and I'd have to really research this but I, I would like a less arrogant director i would like a i have like a second time director okay i just don't have a name for you all right so i'm gonna put down brian rodriguez until you come up with another name if you have a better name but i, I I'm, I'm okay greenlighting this with you having you're the casting director and the actual director so i'm okay with that mike are you okay with that absolutely there we go i'm the director congratulations here's you. your movie you've empowered me i like that you are greenlit 85 dollars go make it Ooh, not gonna get jennifer lawrence <laughs> <laughs> she gets points on the back end it's totally fine mike who is your director for celebrity uh, 2017 man. 
I ran through so many names for this, from like serious options to funny options, you know, people who could actually, I could see remaking it to not, but ultimately I went out with someone whose, uh, I guess, style I want to see sort of fit, and I've also been thinking about if they, they could probably take this to full satire comedy zone as well, and with this cast, possibly. Here's where like somewhat some of the music comes in, at least recently, but I'm going with Edgar Wright to direct okay. this movie, to sort of add a little more flash, make it a little faster, <laughs> you know, add some movement to it, Ooh. and uh, make it a little funnier. I like that a lot. Right. My logic behind my director is similar to all of yours in terms of somebody who could work with an ensemble, somebody who could work with a satire, somebody who could make this a little bit funnier, a little bit quicker, so on and so forth. I went with someone whose, film, whose new film I saw a couple months ago, which comes out in a couple months, I went with Armando Iannucci, the creator of Veep, I think oh. that he would be great with a big cast. I think he'd be great skewering and, and satirizing Hollywood culture. And I also think that I just really like him and like his movies, and I want to see him do something like this. I like that. So that is my pick for that. Ooh, I know who my backup director is. Oh. I know the game's over. I know the game's over. Extra innings. No, no, no. We can yeah. change it. Who's, who's your Who's your backup? Ryan Murphy. Oh, he directed uh, last week's devil's advocate mm. darcy because darcy just kept casting people from horror story and i was like oh <laughs> there's a connection and then she's like i guess he might as well direct it too so <laughs> so would you rather if you had to pick one would it be link later or would it be ryan murphy well it would depend which direction that i wanted this movie to go in so i i do think i'm gonna go with with ryan murphy because i think that the hollywood satire movie would be funny cool I like it. I can dig it. Um, anybody have any last thoughts about Celebrity? I'm surprised that we talked about it for this long, other than just to criticize it. When you brought up this game before, I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, blah, blah, blah. But I really enjoyed this game. I think our versions of Celebrity would probably kick this Celebrity's ass. I think so, too. Oh, wait, before we go on, I forgot to mention, or I forgot to do, we have uh, the segment, Mike, where we're going to go back through and sort of nominate things for the Watch the Throne Awards. Maybe the Golden Wallpapers, uh-huh. maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I took the liberty of nominating this for Worst Film and Worst Role for Charlize. Anybody else have any thoughts about things that stood out in this movie, either for good or bad reasons, that we could nominate when all is said and done at the Charlize Theron Awards after we finish all the movies. Biggest hissy fit, right? Wasn't that one? Oh! <laughs> oh, no. I'm kidding. No, we already decided. I love it. <laughs> I feel like when you're looking at a woman's body of work, you could have, like, a most sexist oh. category. Uh, <laughs> we could. I feel like... Most offensive? Most of these movies so far have been sexist. Yes, but most. Yeah, so it's a real competition. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so we, so we will do... All right, fine. All right, so most sexist... All right, Mike, who, we're going to have to go through right now. So most sexist film, celebrity... Uh, we're going to have to do Two Days in the Valley, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. And then Hollywood Homest... Hollywood Confidential, probably? Hollywood... Well... Hollywood Confidential, she gets, like, beat up at her car. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know if that movie's... I don't know if that is sexist or just bad. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a difference. I think it's like has to be like oh like overtly offensive. Gotcha. Like the fact that in Two Days in the Valley, which I just listened to because it just came out, like the fact that Terry Hatcher doesn't wear pants for the first hour of the movie is not great for women. What does she wear? Underwear. She's oh. in underwear the entire oh. time. She's like chased from her bed or something. And then she puts on like bicycle shorts, and that's the that's her pants from the movie. <laughs> that thing you do is is She's not great, but it's not it's not it's not on par with these trial and 
Error, Hollywood Confidential. Trial and Error. She's that movie's looking better and better every week. It's I know. amazing. <laughs> I know. So okay, so I think that we have most sexist film, Tears in the Valley, and Celebrity. I think those are two good options. Anything else from anybody else? Do any of them pass the Bechdel test yet? Oh, yeah. I mean, Devil's Advocate. Yeah, there's a bunch of women talking about things, like talking about wallpaper and stuff. I feel like you could have a category that just lists all of the ones that pass the Bechdel test, and then you choose the best one of those. I actually think Children of the Corn might pass it, too, if I'm mistaken. Maybe. I mean, but I think I feel like that one would just be like Mad Max. Like, that's like the most empowering, I think. Well, obviously. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. Like, when, when we're doing these categories, we need to find something that, like... I was going to suggest just worst name <laughs> like she doesn't have one like as yeah, we go good, along like how bad did they get did they get worse than Supermodel? i can't imagine they would get worse than this but i also don't i don't know that's you never know okay i'll i'll, I'll put down worst name <laughs> just for now supermodel in celebrity oh and unnamed in children of the corn three well she was also harvest. unnamed and and uncredited that's not really that's not the film's fault okay. she's just a background background character I'm already bending my own I know, my own categories. Well, it's it's in there for now. We might remove it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll leave it for now. Jordan, any last thoughts about celebrity? No, but I have another question about Woody Allen. Okay. Does he get to keep doing this forever, or is everyone going to be mad enough at him soon that he doesn't get to do this anymore? I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that he survived marrying his stepdaughter. Well, no, but he married his stepdaughter, but one of his other kids claims to have been abused by him. Yeah. Yeah. And Ronan Farrow, like, her champion, like, he hates Woody Allen and talks shit about him all the time and like this is one of his causes and it seems like nobody cares yeah but to answer your question i think yes people are gonna let him make movies because until he dies until he dies he gets a lot of foreign financing yeah so even if america kicked him out he could still roman polanski his way over to. well he didn't he didn't have like solid american financing for like 10 years that's why he was like doing a lot of movies in europe and stuff and then he kind of just got Mm. it back when people forget and then people remember, but then people forget. And I think his mother died at like a hundred and something, mm. and she was like rather healthy. Like he's got like like longevity <laughs> genes in him. Look, I'm a fan of his work. Obviously, I'm not a fan of him as a human being. But he needs to stop. It's it's over. You know, I don't care if he produces another good film out of the ten films or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. We don't need it anymore. He, he needs to stop. But it won't happen because he's an indestructible robot. I think that's. I like that you just said that because I think that that's wh- that's why I stopped watching his movies because like even you know six years ago or whenever that whenever Midnight in Paris was even then I had that feeling of like I don't need to see more movies like this and even now it's just even worse. Yeah, I guess I'm just waiting for him to do his Star Wars and then I'll bow out and (laughs) (laughs) give me a huge blockbuster Woody Allen movie with special effects and then, you know, call it a day. The DCEU Flash film directed by Woody Allen. The only movie he ever said that he would do big budget and it'll never happen now and that's fine. Always wanted to do a movie, uh, like a huge budget movie on the history of jazz. But he never got the what? financing, and that's fine. Whatever. Pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, last thing we need is another white guy to save jazz. <laughs> Speaking of that, go check out Boyfriend Material. Or That Thing You Do. Yeah, All That Thing parts. You Do was hilarious, because we found out that Tom Hanks saved jazz before Ryan Gosling saved jazz. <laughs> but they both saved jazz, both, you know, white dudes saving the very white art of jazz. So clearly it's totally fine. At the end of each episode, we like to feature other podcasts on our network. And I think that today there is the first time we just had two guests. We I think we should feature two podcasts, Mike. I think we should feature the two podcasts that are guests. I was going to make a joke about, like, just, like, ramp up to, like, let's plug these two and then just do, to do two other ones. But, like, man, it's fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd be okay with That'd that. That'd be hilarious. If you picked Monkey Club, I would be very Monkey very Club in all these movies, the two defunct ones, <laughs> yeah. the two closed out ones. <laughs> Go listen to Wistful Thinking, which is hosted by Jordan and Caragail O'Regan. Carol will be on episodes on here shortly. This is the podcast I feel on our network with the most pivots in terms of like what it was going to be. <laughs> like Originally it was going to be Sandra Bullock, and then it was going to be Sandra Bullock and Wistful Thinking, and then just Wistful Thinking. And now it's not even just about childhood anymore. It's just about the 80s and 90s, kind of, which is totally well, cool. it's not... It's, we're totally open to doing other decades. It's just that all of the people who agree to be on were young in the 80s and 90s. We're totally open to doing any other decade. Well, if you like going back in time and seeing what people loved as a kid and seeing if it holds up, if it's still good or for just wistful thinking, dabble in a little bit, sort of, of Leonardo DiCaprio if you want to talk about growing pains. Great episode about growing oh, yeah. pains on the Wistful Thinking podcast. Uh, you can listen to Brian as a guest talking about Wishbone. Mike, have you been on there yet or no? Yeah, for the net back when it yeah. was the Sandra oh, Bullock. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> That's I why I couldn't remember. The Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and uh, yeah, we got to talk about uh, Dennis Miller, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can listen to my episode of Casper. So go do that on Wistful Thinking, which comes out every other Thursday. It's the podcast on the network, counting my own that I listen to the most regularly. Whoa. Aww, it's thanks. also the only podcast on the network which I literally have no idea week to week what's going to come out next. Like, everything That's else, fun. you can track what's coming next. Theirs is, like, the most literal grab bag. Like, whatever people want to talk about is just what it's going to be. And I don't know until Kara sends over the artwork or Jordan sends over the audio or whatever that it's like, oh, I guess we're talking about Clueless this week. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a nice little like surprise. I get it after you, obviously. But so, Jordan, what are do you have? Do you have any sense of what's coming out? This this episode is going to come out January twelfth, so about a month from when we're recording this. What wistful thinkings do we have to look forward to between now and then? Do you know what's happening yet? Oh gosh, I can tell you what I hope will happen, but I can't promise. What do you any hope will happen? Well, I can tell you that there will be a Babysitters Club episode. Ooh, for sure. About the books? No, the movie. What? There is a movie with Alyssa Olenek. Pretty sure Joseph Gordon. Alex Mack herself. Yeah, Alex Mack was in it. So that's for sure going to be out by the time this podcast is out. I very much hope to do an Empire Records episode soon. Cool. And uh, what's the other one? Little Women. Oh. Oh, I like it. I like it. I like it. Yep. So go check out Wistful Thinking. And then the other one we want to plug is P.S. I Love Hoffman, which is a love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. You do that well. I, I've heard it so many times. <laughs> I've listened to every episode of every show on our network, so I know all of the everythings. Mike and I have both been on there. Jordan, have you been on PSL of Hoffman yet or no? I haven't been on yet. No. Nope. Gotta Some fix list. that, maybe. <laughs> We don't have a lot of time left. Mike and I were just on together for the first time, and then Mike was on again solo bolo the next week. Uh, but go check out the episode four, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, where I was very combative with everybody on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, if you love Philip Stewart Hoffman, that's going to be one like Monkey Club and like all his movies that's going to sort of have an end because he's not making more movies. It's a finite run. Which I enjoy. Brian, what's coming out the next month uh, between the time we're recording this and the time that this episode comes out? What are, the, what are some of the movies you're looking at in the near future? So we got some good ones coming up. I'm not sure about the order because I don't remember now, but Charlie Wilson's War, which Michael Manzi, you'll be on that one. Can't wait. We have, what's it called? Oh, it's Connected to New York. That's a good one that a lot of people Love like. Love it. 
I mean, there, again, there's not too many left, but there's some good ones left. The Master. The Master, yeah. I am still looking forward to of all the Of all of his movies, the one that I like the most, maybe, is the one that I signed up for that we still haven't done yet, which I think you're really looking forward to, too, yeah, if, I'm, yeah, if I'm not, 100%. If I'm no, not wrong. Like one of the episodes. It feels like it should have happened by now, but like we still got we still have like a while to go before we get there, so yeah, I think that it's like one. 2011. Do you want me to still keep that one a secret? Because we have been like secreting that. Here's here's a hint that I will give you. The first time I went to Minneapolis for a Vikings game, I went to the Mall of America on back-to-back days, and I saw two movies in theaters. I saw this one, and I saw Drive, and I love both of those movies. Mm. So we're doing podcasts about people from both of those movies. So if you want to do some amateur sleuthing and figure out what that movie is, just figure out what came out around the time of Drive and which movie, I guess, Philip Seymour Hoffman was in, and then you'll, you'll be able to know exactly what it is. It's Moneyball. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Moneyball, something I'm really excited for. Another one, you mentioned Drive with Gosling, and we yep. have a Gosling film for those Gosling fans out there. Oh, yeah, Ides of March, and right? And that's Ides of March, yeah, another cool yeah. one. They have a really good interaction in that film. Um, and I guess I, I don't want to go without this podcast, though he was mentioned briefly. I must mention my partner in crime on PS I Love Hoffman, Kyle Reinfried. Kyle, shout out to you. He'll be on this. He'll be on next week. Next week, wow. Mighty Joe Young. He was really gunning for Mighty Joe Young, so I'm glad he got it. I was really happy He got for Mighty him. Joe Young, yes, absolutely. So yeah, so thank you both for being here. We look forward to having Kyle next week. This is sort of a, a kind of a backdoor pilot to another show that might come out next year where we're just hosts from our network talking about movies, which, you know, not like we have enough of those already, but, you know, we might have another one. So this is great to have everybody from different shows on together. So thank you both for stopping by. Sorry that you had to watch this movie. Thanks so much for having me, us, and no apologies. I'd seen it already. Yeah, I feel sad that I had to watch this movie, but I haven't been on with you guys in a long time, so I'm glad to be back. Yay! Oh, also, (laughs) Jordan will be on the next run of Cinemakers. I don't know when that will start or when, you know, when we're going to actually start recording that, but the next batch of Cinemakers will be all Jordan all the time, so that's exciting. Nice. Mike, any last thoughts? I feel like you haven't talked in a while. I don't want to close out without (laughs) without saying goodbye to you. No, just that I like the cinematography of this movie, (laughs) so watch it with the sound off and crank up that jazz. I really like that as, like, your go-to phrase about bad movies. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it works for me. But guys, Um, it looks pretty. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I I look forward to next week. I I love giant ape films, so I'm sure we'll be you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> all like Mighty Joe Club. Young. Yeah, yeah, right. This was going to, wow. I think this this may have even been on the docket at one point for that <laughs> podcast. So it's almost like, you know, reviving that show for a week. Why didn't you get the Monkey Club people? Get Kyle off. Because uh, they're not interested. <laughs> they're... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that. One is not interested in podcasting anymore, I don't think. And the other one is too busy at the moment to record. He, Chris Mandiello will be on three episodes of this down the line. He's on three big episodes, I think. Yep. So he will be back. I don't Mighty think Joe is going to be episode. back. I think that I'll be back on one with him. Yeah, you're going to be on one that we've mentioned on this episode. One of Charlize's biggest movies, if not her biggest movie of all time. So. And I'll be back be too. Back together. I'll be back too for another Woody Allen film. Sure will. It'll be a secret. It'll be a secret. So for all the shows that we've mentioned here so far on Watch the Throne and all of our other shows on our network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can find all the episodes to all of our shows. Things that we might not even know exist exist right now when this comes out on January 12th. Happy New Year, even though it was also 2018 as we put out last week's episode, but you know. Happy New Year, nonetheless. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Brian Rodriguez and Jordan Poland-Clark, and we'll see you next time on Watch the Throne. Oh, make me over. I'm all I want to be. 
can study.